Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History avec a Hemingway, and today we are talking about the Haute-Marie, Marais, I told you said that wrong, and I don't know if you know about this area. I mean, the Marais is a very big area. We're going to be talking about some different parts of it. This week, we'll talk about the Haute. And then next week, we'll talk about a different area of the Marais. And if you don't know anything about this area, it's a great place for shopping. It's also the Jewish section of Paris, the gay section of Paris. There's a lot going on over there. Interesting how all these different people can live together. (laughs) But I'll let Claudine take it from here. Yeah, this is the Omaré. It's kind of basically what you think of. Um, basically, you take it goes up to the edge of Republique. So where the statue of Marianne is there at the Place de la Republique. And then right on the other side of that is basically the beginning of the Canal Saint-Martin. Um, so it's kind of right below there um, is the Omaré. And in the Marais itself, this week and next week, we'll talk about um, some also some of the great museums you have. In the Haute Marais, there it is home to one of the greatest little museums in Paris that probably many people listening today have maybe never been unless they've heard me tell a million times to go here. Um, <laughs> it, is a, it is the Musée de la Chasse et la Nature, which is the hunting museum, basically. Um, it is kind of this little hidden find of a museum. And this is a museum that Parisians go to over and over again. Um, it's far down on the list of museums, you know, that, you know, after, you know, of course, the, my favorite, the Louvre and the Orsay and you, you know, Marmiton and, and Pompidou it is, but it is really, really cool. And it is one you definitely don't want to miss. And even if you think, ew, hunting, that sounds horrible. Do still go because it is filled with like amazing paintings of animals. It's really, really cool. So it holds the collection um, of a couple named Francois and Jacqueline Sommer. Um, It was basically all focusing on animals and nature. Um, originally, it was in the Ardennes region of France, but André Malraux, who was a minister of culture under de Gaulle, um, is, is one that really put a huge importance on updating all of these things. Like a lot of the stuff we see in Paris today Culture-wise, we could really thank um, Andre Malraux for a lot of that stuff. So in six, 1964, it found a new home here in the Marais. It encompasses two buildings, and it just recently reopened um, after renovation. It is the Hotel Genigo and the Hotel Mongla. It was built in 1652 by Francois Mansart who is basically, well, a lot of us know because of the fantastic roof lines in Paris. Uh, but it's really the only structure left in the um, in the Marais 
that it was entirely done by him that has been the structure itself is still intact. Oh, wow. The only one. Yeah. So it was one of the first buildings in the Marais to also be restored under Malraux's plans to restore everything in the the Marais. And, you know, the Marais itself, um, what's so neat about it is, you know, because somebody on a tour I just had recently, they were like, what's the oldest part of Paris? And I was like, well, you know, technically it's Ile de la Cité, but kind of it, it in a lot of way. I mean, of course, there's a lot in the, in the left bank, the Latin Quarter, but the Marais in a lot of ways has even older because it was untouched. A lot of it was just untouched by Hausmann. So mm-hmm. under Hausmann and Napoleon III, they didn't really, that's why you still have those small little streets in the Marais because they weren't torn apart to make these big boulevards. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're special. Yeah. Um, so at that time, um, they, in 1705, the, um, Hotel de Mango was, uh, created and passed down in 1705 through the hands of a family a dozen times until after the revolution, it was then divided into many different little buildings that were then destroyed. Um, the original interior of it was destroyed. And in 2002, the museum took possession of it and restored and renovated it. And then in 2007, it opened to the public. So it opened then as a larger museum. The courtyard stone facade that you can see there um, has all been, uh, a lot of it has been updated, but parts of it go back to the 1600s. That's crazy. I shot something there for the American Women's Group, our gala, and I barely remember it. Like, I don't know why. I remember it was very small. And we only got like a little piece of it, I think. That's why. And it's definitely one of those places that you go in and it's like, a you know, you could tell that this was like at home. It's not like, you know, the Picasso, the Hotel de Salle, which we'll talk about next week, where it's, you know, they definitely have renovated in the inside to make it like a museum, you know, bigger rooms and easier to manage. The um, Hotel de la Chasse. The Musée de la Chasse is definitely like you're going through and there's small rooms, uh, but it's really cool because it has like, you know, there is taxidermy in there, but then there's this one small room with these cases and it's all like pistols and rifles that belonged. A lot of it belonged to like, you know, the Kings and some of them, you know, I thought, oh yeah, whatever. I'm not really into that. But then I looked, you look closely and it's like this beautiful, like, carved silver handles i mean they're really i mean they're kind of pieces of art in and of Mm -hmm. itself um and it's not really like you know it's not a museum like the louvre where you have a big painting and here's a plaque on the wall and then there's a lot of space it's definitely like you're kind of going into somebody's home yeah yeah it felt very homey yeah, it's really, really cool. It's on Rue des Archives, um, which is in the third. Um, and it's open Tuesday through Sunday from 11 to 6. On Wednesdays, they actually open until 9.30 at night, um, except for in July and August. And then depending on what the exhibition is at the time, it's usually like 10 to 12 euros to go in. Um, but it is really, it's really, really cool. I have not made it back in since they renovated it and reopened it, but I'm going to go soon. And then I will share some new photos, but what everything I've seen so far, it looks fantastic. Yeah, I want to check it out. Maybe Giuseppe would be interested in that. Yeah, he might actually like that. Um, also on that street is a the Fondation um, uh, Henry Carter Bresson, who was a fantastic photographer, as I'm sure you know. Um, it was moved here in 2013 from, guess where? Montparnasse. No way. I've never been there. I need to go. You do need to go there. And it's um, it looks amazing. His work was fantastic. And we just talked about Montparnasse last week. Uh, but it opened in 2003 because the space it had in Montparnasse was too small. 
Um, Henry was born on August 22nd, 1908 in um, Chateauloup-en-Brie um, and actually started out as a painter. Um, he hung out with a surrealist, but in 1930, he was stationed in the military in the uh, Côte d'Ivray, and he was there in the service, and that's when he started taking photos. I love him. He's so he, I mean, he has some of like those most iconic images of Paris and like some of the, I think he's the one that took the picture of the little kid that's carrying like the big, huge bottle of wine and the woman yeah. really long baguette. Like, I just love those pictures. They're so cool to see. Um, but it is really cool. They do some special exhibition exhibitions in there as well. Um, but it is really cool um, to go check out and it's small. Uh, but it is, you know, if you're walking down that street, you could just pop in there for a quick, you know, half an hour and check it out. Worth a visit. So, and also right there, like just right past him, that area um, is a lot of people may know of the Marché des Enfants Rouges, which is very close to there. It's just right around the corner. And I always wondered, why is it called the Market of the Red Children? Me too. What's the deal? And so it was named for after the hospital uh, that was the Hospital um, des Enfants Rouges. Francois, the first sister, his sister Marguerite de Navarre, requested a new hospital made for children because most of the children that were being treated at the Hotel Dieu that is on the Ile de la Cité um, was they were basically dying because they had so many people. And this was just in general, like every hotel bed or hospital bed. I keep calling hospitals hotels these days. <laughs> every hospital bed had like two to three people in them. Like this what? is like straight out of, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> oh, wait, they were all in the beds together? Yeah. So people had to share beds. It's because it was so overcrowded. So these children were so close to each other all the time that a, most of the children, like you had a higher percentage of your child dying at this point. And we're talking like 1534. So this is 16th century. Mm -hmm. um, and so she, you know, she asked her brother, like, we need to do something. So a home was purchased um, that was purchased just right off um, the Rue des Archives. And it's reason why is because the kids were all dressed in red because it was the color and the sign of charity. What? I had no idea. So that is why um, the hospital actually did really well and cared for and saved most of the children. It actually stood and ran for almost 300 years until Louis the 15th decided it wasn't financially sound and we don't need it. <laughs> we don't need to help the children anymore. <laughs> little children die. No, that sounds horrible. But no, but at that point, Louis the under Louis the Fifteenth, there was a there was way more hospitals in, yeah. in the city than at that point. Um, the building once stretched across the street, so basically, where if you go to on um, uh, the Henri Cartier, that basically, if you walk to the end of his block, um, where he is, the um, the museum there, where you if you cross that street, you basically are crossing. You would have been walking inside of the hospital. So it, it if you look up at the two buildings that are on either side you actually could still see part of the walls that were of the original hospital. Interesting. Yeah. Cause that's a really cool little market. There's lots of yeah. good food in there. Yeah, it is really cool. I just walked through there. Just, I think it was just a couple of days ago, but it was, um, it was made a little bit larger. They ended up cutting through it. They ran the street through it. So they enlarged the area. And so a lot of that original, original building is gone 
But if you go down that side street and you look behind this fence, this gate on this one um, building, you kind of could see, and there's like a little, um, a little marker for the, uh, for it. And then there's also like a drawing of a little kid wearing red on the door, right next to the door of the um, Marche. Interesting that wearing red was a sign of charity. Like I, I know. Well, it is the color. best color. I mean, it is the best color, but for charity, I don't. I know. I know. I don't think most people think of red as like, you know. A charity color. <laughs> like danger or like. Well, where's the red, the red cross, though, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was things back, you know, back then, like, you didn't wear white on your wedding day. And like, because white was the color of mourning. Like, that's what royalty would wear. They'd wear white when they were mourning instead of black. So there was just like different rules of colors. Wow. Now right. we only have one. Like, you know, wear white after labor after Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in, a, in a country that wears uh, yoga pants everywhere, the only yeah. fashion rule that they care about is the white after Labor Day. <laughs> <So funny. laughs> but it is really cool. The market is really cool. There's the, and I can't remember the seller. And when I walked through the other morning, it was like the only things that were open were, you know, like the produce and the fish and the, and the meat guys that there's some restaurants in there and there's the one guy in there that apparently has like the best sandwich in all of Paris. And if you go there, you have to get there like an hour before it opens just to get in line and you might not even get it. Did you eat the sandwich? No, it, none of that stuff was open when I went through. I just kind of, it was pretty early. Um, but I just kind of walked by and I took some photos of like the produce and the, and the cheese and all of that stuff. It's fun to see. I'm like, what is the best sandwich? Yeah. But also when you go kind of right across there. So um, when you think of the Haute Marais, you, it's it's kind of the temple area. And so right where the um, the mayor's office of the third, which now that has uh, changed because, you know, they combine those first four arrondissements into one major ma- mayor's office. Um, they right in front of where that is, there's a beautiful park. But in kind of in between, between the mayor's office and the park, um, is once where the uh, temple prison was. And this temple, um, it was originally created for the Templars, and then it ended up turning into a prison. And that is where, on August 13th, 1792, guess who was sent there? No idea. Marie Antoinette. What? Oh, yeah. We talked about that. So that's where they put her. Yeah, so they were taken there. Um, it was there was a small. It was a there was four towers, um, and there was a smaller tower that they were used as a prison, in and had five floors. And at first, they were you know kind of all together, um, and then they eventually took them apart. On September 29th, Louis the Sixteenth was removed and placed in the larger towers. The walls were all covered with yellow fabric and blinds were added over the windows to keep them from people trying to communicate with them from the outside. Um, The queen and the kids and her sister-in-law, Elizabeth, were in the room above that had was covered with the walls were covered with green fabric. Um, On October 7th, Louis the 16th was told he was no longer king. Um, he spent his days reading that he was in there and there was a vast library that the, the prison prison had. And he said that he basically thought that between August 1792 and January 1793, when he was killed, he read um, 257 books. I mean, I guess that's a good way to spend your last months alive. What else are you going to do? <laughs> they were going to kill them or was everything just like up in the air? They really, I mean, I think that they knew, but they were supposed to be this trial. So he was actually like, you know, they voted for his death. 
his um, the vote ended up being 361 for and 360 against having him basically killing him. So when they say every vote counts, definitely in that case, every vote counted. Of course. It was a tie except by one vote to kill him. I think that like, I, I don't think it would have mattered. I think they would have killed him anyway. Um, yeah. On January 21st, 1793, he lost his head. Back at the temple prison, um, the family found out because everybody was screaming and yelling below their window. Um, on January 3rd, 1793, Louis XVII, who was his son, who now was Louis XVII, but because he wasn't technically king, um, he remained with his mother and his sister and his aunt. Uh, but on August 2nd, 1793, Marie Antoinette was taken to the conciergerie, or as we know it as the anti-chamber of death. Um, on October 14th, her trial began. October 16th at 4.30 a.m., she was convicted. And by noon that same day, she had lost her head. The same day, they were really in a rush. Yeah, well, I, I think that was, I don't think it mattered what they, I think uh, it was just, you know, basically a farce. Yeah, uh, but on May 6, 1795, um, Louis the Seventeenth was still held there. He became very, very sick. After two years of this horrible care, he had been given, you know, wine for, you know, over six months. He had very little hygiene. He had very little food. He was held just alone in this very dark room. His health went down very quickly. And on June 8, 1795, at just 10 years old, um, he ended up dying. That's so sad. I mean, his parents are murdered and then he's yeah. kept in a dark room. Yeah. Really. I mean, it's, he's a kid. He's a 10-year-old kid. 10-year-old kid. His sister, Marie Therese, or Madame uh, Royale, who we talked about, you know, long ago in those first episodes we did of the podcast about, you know, Marie Antoinette. Um, her daughter, Marie Therese, uh, was the only one that survived. On June 30th of 1795, the convention decided to barter a deal with Austria to exchange her for prisoners. She finally left on December 19th, 1795. That's three years, three months, and six days since she had arrived. Gosh, three years of living like that. I don't know how she survived. Yeah, she, I mean, and then we, you know, as we know, she went on to live her life. And then she came when they, she was able to come back to Paris. Um, she ended up, you know, because they were told where her mother and father were dumped. Um, and she kind of helped use some of her own money to build the Chapelle Expertoire, which you could still go to today. If you go downstairs into the crypt, there's a really cool black marble altar, which is where they were, her parents were found. Wow. I mean, it's I really can't. Cool. I don't think I'd ever want to go back to Paris after my whole family was murdered. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's not. I don't know about that. But in 1808, Napoleon decided to have the Temple Tower destroyed because it ended up becoming this symbol for Bonapartists um, or the anti-Bonapartists because it was kind of, you know, this is where the king and queen had been. And so he decided that needed to get taken down because they were making martyrs of uh, Louis and Marie. Uh, it took two years to finally take it down. But now, of course, nothing remains. But there is a a, a historical plaque there. Um, that you could go and read, but that's about it. That's even remains there. And of course the, the square in front of it is called the square de Temple, which is, uh, and then it's also has a longer name. The Ili Wiesel 
it was open in 1857. It was, um, if you kind of stood in the middle of the garden, that's kind of where the towers moved into, where there's this music kiosk that goes back to 1900. It was designed by uh, Gabrielle Davio, who also did some other beautiful things we love, like the Parc Monceau, those beautiful gates of Parc Monceau, um, some of the pavilions in the Luxembourg, the Fontaine Saint-Michel. Um, and he also is the one who had saved the Lita and the Swan statue that's on the back of the Fontaine de Medicis. Wow, I didn't know he had that much involvement. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff. Um, he Inside the garden, there's also a statue of Pierre-Jean de Beranger, um, that he, uh, by Henry Liftel, he, there's also a bust of a gentleman named A.B. Wilhelm. He was a, he basically brought singing into schools, like, to, like choir. Um, it was abolished in the revolution and then they brought it back and it's still called the Wilhelm method. It's still taught today, um, in all of the schools. But in 2016, the mayor proposed to rename it the Ely Wiesel. Um, Ely Wiesel is you might, some people might be listening, know um, that name from America. He was a Romanian-born um, American who turned, he basically um, pledged to become American later. He survived the Holocaust after being departed, um, de or being sent off at 15 years old with his entire family by Hitler to Auschwitz. His mother and his youngest sister were gassed as soon as they arrived, and then his father was killed. Wow, and he's the only one that survived. Yeah, in April of 1945, he and his two sisters actually were released uh, by the Americans. He made his way to Paris, and he studied at the Sorbonne. He would write about his time in the concentration camps, as well as writing plays and novels. In 1963, he became an American citizen. In 1986, he won the Nobel Prize for his fight of the Holocaust. Um, he helped find Holocaust survival organizations all over the world. And he was there to witness the trial of Klaus Barbie, who was the great uh, German Nazi war criminal. He, he died on July 2nd, 2016, uh, but he fought to keep the memory of the Holocaust alive his whole life for the people that lost their lives and those that got to live through it. Unfortunately, thankfully, they lived through it. Um, and so they renamed part of the park for him. Gosh, he lived a long time. Yeah, yeah. And as they should, because what a what a inspiring, great person that he was. Yeah. Seriously. But you walk up from there, um, and in a few minutes, you are at the Place de Republique. And if you go there these days, um, she is wearing a what looks like a very large shirt of a Ukrainian flag. It's, oh, yeah. I've seen that. I went by on Uber the other day. Yeah. She's yeah. So it's always, you know, they really redid that whole area. Um, many years ago, making um, the Plaza Republic so much bigger. Um, there's always there's always kids skateboarding, some rascals out there skateboarding. Um, <laughs> but it is a, it is a, a really cool area to walk around. Yeah, I love that area. The Murray yeah. is just fun. Yeah, it is really fun. Well, guys, we covered one section of the Murray, so you have to tune in next week for the other piece of the Murray. And definitely head over to Claudine's website, ClaudineHemingway.com, to learn more about tours and travel and everything related to Paris and French history. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a 
place or something in Paris or it's lots of fun facts and then also at claudiehemingway.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.